the most painful question in the world is why. We ask lots of different questions about various things that go on in our lives, but there are some periods, moments, seasons, when we look to heaven and ask, why? God, why are you doing this instead of doing that? Why aren't you answering my prayers the way that I'm asking you to? God, why? We're not the first people to ask that question, and we won't be the last people. And I love the fact that God's Word tells us that even the most faithful of God's followers, His children, turned to Him at times and said, why is this happening? This morning, I want us to complete a two-part series, just a really quick one. Last week, we talked about Joseph and being tempted. And this morning, I want us to look at the idea of what do we do when we are in trials. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus and was biologically related to him. You might remember early in the book of Luke, Elizabeth, who was Zechariah's husband, conceived. She had been wanting a child for a very long time, but had been unable to have one. And then the Holy Spirit visited her and said, hey, you're going to have a child, or visited her husband and said, you're going to conceive and have a baby, and he's going to have a very special job. He's going to go around telling everyone that the Messiah is on the way. And so they did have a child in their old age. And so John then faithfully proclaimed. In fact, the, the results of his ministry were so dramatic that people even began scratching their heads and wondering, is he the Messiah? I mean, we've never heard anyone preach this way. The crowds are flocking to him. Maybe John is the Messiah. But he faithfully and regularly would say, no, 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 I'm not the one. There is one coming, but I'm unworthy even to untie his shoelaces. He's going to come and he's going to rescue us from, his, from our sins. Then John completed his mission basically and sort of slipped into the shadows as Jesus stepped to the forefront. But still John continued to point people to Jesus until this day. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, When Jesus had finished giving instruction to his twelve disciples... He moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison, there's the clue, John's in a prison cell. When John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples, through his own disciples, not through Jesus's, through the people who had been devoted to John, and asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? John was having a crisis of faith. He said, Jesus, I, I staked my life on the fact that you're the Messiah. I, I pointed people to you. I said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Jesus, if you really are the Messiah, why am I in prison? I love you. I've been true to my calling. If you really are the Messiah, if you are who you claim to be, if you're really God, then why has life turned out this way for me? 
Jesus replied to them in verse 4, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. Now, you might remember that, that scripture might sound familiar to you. It's from Isaiah chapter 61, and it's the, very, it's the text for the very first sermon Jesus ever preached. In the synagogue in Nazareth, he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah, read these words about what the Messiah would do, and then announced to the people who were there, this scripture is fulfilled today. I'm the one. And so Jesus' response to John was, hey, the things that I promised to do, the, the, uh, the blind are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, all those things that I promised to do are happening. And then verse 6 says, And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. John asked Jesus a painful question. Why am I in this prison cell? Why has life turned out for me this way instead of that way? If you really are God, if you really are powerful and loving, then why have I had to deal with these struggles? You've asked that question. You've thought it. You may not have verbalized it to someone, but you have wondered what God was doing and asked why he wasn't doing something else. This morning's message is going to be a little bit different. Instead of trying to explain everything in this passage, what I want to do is to offer some possible explanations for why John was in prison. If the most painful question is why, then, then I would like to, rather than saying, now verse 1 means this and verse 2 and verse 3, what I would like to do is to say, hmm, what are some possible reasons that John may have been in prison? Because they are the same possible reasons that you and I might go through trials and difficulties, challenges and dark valleys. What are those reasons? First, sometimes... We are in prison. Sometimes we are in uh, difficult circumstances because God is using those circumstances to discipline us. We have wandered off of the path where God wanted us to go. And the natural consequences of our decisions is that we, we have reaped what we have sown. We, we did what was wrong, and as a result of that, the consequences of those wrong choices came back on us. Sometimes we look up to heaven and say, God, why are you doing this to me? And I think God must answer, I'm not doing this to you. You did this to you. You knew, you, you were tentative about making that decision, but you went ahead and you thought that somehow you were going to escape the consequences, but you didn't escape the consequences. I didn't do any of this. You did all of this. If you were here last week, you might remember that when we were talking about Joseph and his ability to say no to temptation, one of the parts of the puzzle was that Joseph thought, wait a minute, I, I am living as a slave but I'm not living out in the fields working all day. I'm in, this, I'm in this home and I've kind of risen to a place of responsibility. If I do this and I am caught, when I am caught, all of this is going to go away. So I am not going to do what is wrong. But sometimes we don't have that same thought process. And we do what is wrong. And then when we do what is wrong, the consequences of our actions 
land us in prison. And we might gripe to God, we might groan to God, we might grumble to God, but God says, I didn't have any part of this. You did this all by yourself. The reason that you are in the mess that you are in is because of the choices that you have made. I didn't send this, you did it to yourself. When I was a young boy growing up in West Point, one afternoon I was reading our local newspaper, and on the sports page, there wasn't a sports section, there was a sports, page, a sports half page. And so I was looking on that page, and there was an advertisement for a football camp at Mississippi State, several members of the Miami Dolphins, I don't know why the Dolphins were coming, maybe a connection to a coach or something like that, but several members of the Miami Dolphins were coming to Mississippi State to do a one-day football camp on a Saturday. And so I went to my mom and dad and asked if I could go to the football camp. I thought I had a future in pro football. I already had the body for it. And so I thought, you know, this could, be a, this could be my start. Maybe they would begin to notice me. And they said, son, of course. And they clipped out the little registration slip in the newspaper, mailed in the check, and man, I was excited about that camp. Several days later, my mom called me from the kitchen to back to my room and said, Gary, come set the table for supper. And I did what every person, every responsible child does. I acted like I didn't hear her. <laughs> and she then called a little bit more loudly and said, Gary, come set the table for supper. And again, I did not go forward. I don't know what I was doing. I was seven years old. I don't know what I was doing back there, maybe working on homework. I might have been on the phone with women. They wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> but eventually... My mother said loudly enough so that she knew that I heard her and that I knew that she knew that I had heard her. Gary, come set the table for supper. And so to communicate how displeased I was, I... And then I opened the cabinet and grabbed the plates. And then I walked over to the cabinet where the glasses were. I was so busy. And opened them up and grabbed the glasses. Plink, 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 plink. And then I went over to the drawer where the silverware was, snatched it open, grabbed silverware. Twinkle, 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 twinkle. And my mom said, that's it. You're not going to the football camp. No, Mother, look. Look at how I'm putting the napkins out. And I don't know if your mom and dad were this way, but once my parents said it, that was it. And so, two weeks later, when the football camp went on in Starkville, I did not put my little shoulder pads on and walk in with my helmet. All right, I'm ready to go. I knew I was not going. And it wasn't because my parents didn't want me to go. They had paid for me to go. They had said, sure, you can go. And so I didn't look at them and say, oh, why are you doing this? I did it. And sometimes the reasons that we land ourselves in really bad places in life 
is due to nothing but our own choices. We did it. God didn't do it. We did it. And that's a possible explanation for why John was in prison. But it isn't the right one. John wasn't in prison because he had done something wrong. In fact, if you read a little bit of context connected to this passage, John, John was not in prison because he had done wrong. In fact, exactly the opposite is true. John was in prison because he had done what was right. Herod, the, the kind of governor of that region at that time, had stolen his brother's wife. Now, that is trash. When you break up a family and it is your brother's family and you steal his wife, that's as low as you can get. And John confronted Herod. He said, this relationship is immoral. It is wrong. You should not be in it. And Herod said, I don't like that. To prison you go. If John had, had just kept his mouth shut, if he had not said anything, he would have been free walking around. And so sometimes we find ourselves in prison cells because we have done what is wrong. And it's a good explanation, but it's not the right one for this passage. So there has to be another one. Sometimes we find ourselves in difficult positions because God is using those circumstances to build character in us. There's a deficiency. There's a rough edge that he's rubbing off. God is using the, the struggles, the challenges that we face to say, you don't really see what's going on here, but I am strengthening your faith. I'm helping you become a stronger person. There's something where you're lacking, and I am using this trial, this struggle, this dark valley to help you become the person that I want you to be. You've experienced that. You know what the Bible says. James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4 say, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's best teacher may be hard times. We learn some lessons in difficulties that we do not learn in any other ways. And then when we come out of those trials on the other side, we are stronger. We look back and say, look at what God did. Look at how he helped me grow. Look at what God did in me. And now look at a situation before this challenge would have crushed me. But because I went through this, I can now go through that. And sometimes... We have experienced that of, of going through a challenge and then coming through on the other side. It was incredibly painful, incredibly difficult, awfully hard. But after we got through it, we recognized it. Others recognized they're a better person today than they were before. When I first moved to Columbus, I joined the YMCA downtown. It was the first time that I hadn't had some sort of uh, extra, I mean, hadn't had some sort of organized sports, and so I joined the YMCA, went down there through my little orientation and learned all about the, the weight machines and things like that. Now, listen, when, when I go to the Y in the mornings, there are some people, and they're, they're much more committed to physical fitness than I am. They will be in that free weight area. Oh! Sweet mother! And they are lifting all this weight, and I go over there, say, sir, you dropped your gallbladder and have to give it back to. I mean, 
That is not my philosophy at all. As long as my pants fit me okay, that's all I care about. And so I don't even go back there to the free weight area. I get there on the little weight machines, put about 16 pounds on there, weak, 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 and then I'm through, make my way on out. Well, when I first started going to the Y, a, little, a girl in our church was really into cheerleading and physical fitness, and so I, I told the youth group that night that I had joined the YMCA, and they were going to watch the transformation happen right before their eyes. And this girl named Sandy came to me afterwards, and she said, Gary, what sort, of, what sort of cardiovascular exercise are you doing? And I said, none. I'm just going through the weight machine. She said, oh, no, 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 that will never work. That will not work. You have to do cardio. And so I said, well, getting on the treadmill is so boring. I just, I just don't want to do that. She said, why don't you take an aerobics class? They have a bunch of them down there. This was when step aerobics was really big, and I said, I am not coordinated. Now, on the dance floor, I will break it down, but I am not good in step aerobics, and I don't want to be a stumbling block to these women in these classes, so I don't want to do that. And she said, well, why don't you get, why don't you get an aerobics uh, DVD, and you can do it at home? I said, I don't know. She said, well, I'm going to do it for you. Well, you do that if you want. And so I didn't even think any more about it, and then about two weeks later, Sandy showed up, to a church early one Wednesday night. She came in my office, and she had her hands behind her back like this. She said, Gary, I bought you something. And I said, all right. She said, you know, I told you, you need some sort of cardiovascular exercise to elevate your, uh, you know, your heart rate and things like that. So I bought you an aerobics DVD for you to do. And I said, okay. And she pulled out that blue Walmart sack, and I opened it up. You younger people won't get this. But she had bought me the Cindy Crawford workout video. <laughs> and I want you to know it's an incredible cardiovascular exercise. I could sit in my recliner and watch Cindy Crawford do those exercises, and my heart rate would get up, I mean, near 200. And so I thought that's probably not the best way to use the DVD. So... I put the little DVD in, and so I said, I'm going to do these exercises. And so I started going through there, and apparently Cindy Crawford's philosophy is you need to use the muscles you don't ever use. And so we were doing all these kicks and things like that, and I was trying my best to keep up with her. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, nine, one, one. <laughs> and I was working and I got through it. The next morning, when I tried to get up to go to work, I slid one leg out of the bed, and when that leg hit the ground, it started trembling like that. You know how when you've overexerted your muscles, and they just... It, I looked like Elvis. And so I, I could not... When I got... I, met, I thought, I'm not going to be able to go to work. I, but I cannot call in and say... <clears throat> I'm not coming in today. Why? Cindy Crawford. I could not do that. <laughs> so I went to work and came home that afternoon, and then I immediately put that DVD right back in that uh, player. And I went through that workout again. And the next day, I did it again. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And then eventually, I got to, oh, we need something more challenging but not the first day. 
That first day was incredibly hard. But once I got past it, I was stronger. You're stronger today because of some of the trials that you've been through. It's a great explanation for why we sometimes go through difficulties. But it's not the right one for here. If you read further in the passage, after John's disciples went back to Jesus, or after, went, after John's disciples went back from Jesus to John, look at what Jesus said in verse 7. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A, ray, a reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Listen to this sentence. Jesus said this, not John's family, not a friend. Jesus himself said this, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. Jesus said John's the greatest man who's ever lived. Up to this point, you think about Abraham, Joseph, Daniel, Noah, Moses, David. Jesus said, you take any of those great heroes of the faith, none of them is greater than John. And so John didn't seem to have character deficiencies or areas that were really glaring that needed trials to purify. So it's a good explanation, but it's not the right one for here. Sometimes God allows us to go through difficulties, through trials, because he intends to do something miraculous to get them out of them. I mean, there are lots of times in the Bible, right? Daniel was locked in the lion's den all night. He came out the next morning, not a scratch on him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to bow down to your idol. You do whatever you want to us, but we are not bowing down. We're throwing you into the fiery furnace then. They came out completely unharmed, and their clothes did not even smell like smoke. There are a lot of times when you and I have been backed into a corner, the odds seemed impossible. We said, God, what are you doing? And I can just picture him elbowing, look at what I'm about to do. And then suddenly, in response to our prayers, in ways that we never even dreamed were possible, that very, very difficult situation was gone, disappeared. The valley all of a sudden emerged with light beaming in it. We could see the path ahead of us. God still is in the miracle-working business. There are things that have weighed on us, and we ask, God, is there any way you can do anything about it? And he says, I certainly can. And sometimes he allows those circumstances in our lives so that he can remind us, nothing is too hard for me. It's a really good explanation. But it's not the, not the right one for this passage. John never got out of prison. In fact, not long after this, they brought a big sword and they cut off his head. 
And so sometimes God does allow the odds to get stacked against us because he wants to prove that he can overcome any odds. Well, we've looked at three biblical, theological, right reasons that trials and difficulties may come into our lives. But none of them explains why John was in prison. They are all good explanations. They come straight from God's word, but they do not apply to this specific situation. So why was John in prison? I think the answer that Jesus gave to John is something that's really important for us. When John sent word by his own disciples to Jesus and asked him in verse 3, Jesus, are you really who I thought you were? Because in my perspective, if you are, then why has life turned out this way for me? Jesus' answer is very curious. Jesus didn't even go see John in prison. He did not say, if John's discouraged, I'm going with you back to him. Jesus answered what I quoted to you or what I mentioned to you earlier. This is a reference from Isaiah about what the Messiah would do. And so Jesus said, go and report to John. He knows the scriptures. You go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And then, then Jesus inserted this one instruction to John and blesses the one who isn't offended by me. I'm going to summarize Jesus' answer. John, don't let what happens in the dark destroy what you knew to be the truth in the light. John, just because circumstances haven't gone the way that you thought they should, don't let them shake your faith in me. I'm still operating on the agenda. Remember, I told people, I'm going to open the eyes of the blind. I'm going to make the lame walk. I'm going to cleanse the lepers. I am right on that agenda. I am who I claim to be. I am who I say I am. And John, just because you don't know what I'm doing doesn't mean that I don't know what I'm doing. So here's the fourth explanation. Sometimes the reason that God allows us to go through trials, to go into hard times, is because he wants to draw us nearer to him and teach us to trust him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If we understand everything that God is doing in life, that's not faith. That's comprehension. That's knowledge. And what God asks us is, will you trust me when you don't like your circumstances? Will you trust me when you don't understand what is happening? Will you still be devoted to me when you are frustrated that I am not responding the way that you want me to.
I love you and I know what's best for you. Will you trust me even when you don't like it? That's why John was in prison. That's why John was here. So that even in the midst of mystery and confusion, he still could say, blessed be your name. No matter what, I will hold fast to the God who is working in me even when I don't know how and even when I don't know why. Philip's going to come and lead us in a closing song of commitment today. And I want to issue a couple of different ways that you may want to respond to the message. I never assume in a church building that everyone sitting in a pew is a follower of Jesus Christ. And the word of hope that I have given today really only applies to people who are part of God's family. But the good news is if you aren't part of God's family, you can be in a moment. I mean, in an instant. Jesus died on a cross for our sins, was buried, and then rose again on the third day. And he says, whoever will come to trust me, I will never cast him out. And so when we sing in just a moment, I'm going to be standing right here at the front for just a moment or two. And if you have questions about how to begin a relationship with God, I would love to talk with you and help you know how to take the first step in following Jesus. If there are people who say, I'm in prison right now and I am discouraged, I just need my church family to surround me, to support me, to pray for me. I don't, I don't really know what's going on, or maybe I do, but it's still hard for me to get through. We'll be glad to pray for you, too. In whatever way God's Spirit speaks to you, I hope that you'll be obedient to that. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing. Philip, what are we going to sing?